Good morning. Welcome to the Auckland Unitarians. My name is Vivian Allen and I'm your service leader today. We welcome all of you in our doors, the joyful, the heartbroken, atheists and Christians, Muslims and Jews, straight and gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, all who are searching, seeking, looking for more, more meaning, more service, more love. If this is your first time here, or your 100th and first time, we're glad you're here. Welcome to this opportunity to be together in community, which is a time of joy, comfort, and sometimes challenges. This Unitarian congregation is a place where we come to learn more about being human. We're not here because we've figured out life's questions or because we think we've got it right. Please stay after our service and join us for a chat and some morning tea. After missing your cyclone, Yoss and I were sitting in the airport in Melbourne, waiting for our flight back home, catching up on news and emails, when a message from our neighbour across the road popped up on my phone with a photo of a huge tree in our street leaning over our house. Maybe we can see it? Here we are. And that's a huge tree, by the way. It's probably a, we think it's a, a redwood or a Monterey pine and it was hanging over three houses, including ours, and where all three of us were on holiday. Our neighbour, over across the road, was trying to get a council arborist to come and look at it. After many phone calls and fob-offs, probably because everybody was phoning the council about a tree, she managed to have an arborist sent who told her that there wasn't any danger told her not to worry and left. Well, thankfully, worry she did, and she phoned 111 to escalate the problem, as the trees seemed to be still moving. She managed to get another arborist to come, who looked at it and said, "Whoa, this needs to come down right now. So within a few hours, it had been removed, and we flew back that night a few hours later uh, to an intact house, thanks to my neighbour. I've actually got a couple of lovely French wines sitting on my table for her. <laughs> this event got me thinking more about my relationship with trees, a passionate relationship that's followed me all my life. Now, I apologise for not being more specific about my topic, but I thought if I told you all earlier that my talk would be about trees, that most of you would scarper, thinking that I was going to lecture you. But no, please relax. I'm not going to lecture you or tell you what to do in regards to climate change, as I'm sure we're all very aware of what is needed. No, I'm going to share with you my long, passionate relationship with trees. And I hope that you find something in this talk that touches you, or even challenges you, hopefully in a good way. You may note it relates to our Unitarian principle number one, no, number seven. Respect for the interdependent web of all existence of which we are a part. 
At times, our own light goes out and is rekindled by a spark from another person. Each of us has cause to think with deep gratitude of those who have lighted the flame within us. Now, if you'd like to have a look at the um, order of service, you'll notice the covenant. Let's say it together. Together, love is the doctrine of this church. The quest for truth is the sacrament, and service is its prayer. To delve together in peace, we seek knowledge and freedom to serve humankind in fellowship to the end that all souls shall grow in harmony. Thus do we covenant with each other. I actually can't say with our God because I'm not really into that, but we're Unitarians. We're allowed to, to believe in either. I'm now going to take you into a short spoken meditation. You can close your eyes or watch the photo on the screen, whichever you feel more comfortable with. Can I have my second photo of trees, please? That's actually, it is a New Zealand bush photo. Now, take three long, deep breaths as you feel yourself sink deeply into the ground and your body becomes relaxed. Now, imagine you're standing on a path at the edge of a small forest. The bright sun warms your back as you face the opening in the trees. The cool breeze from the forest is inviting you to enter. The path is clear and broad, it's easy to follow. And so you step into the forest. All around you, you can hear birds calling to one another. Their sounds are sweet and gentle. It's as if they're encouraging you to take a few more steps into their home. And so you do. The peace in the forest is total. You can hear the sounds of birds hidden in the dense canopy of the forest. As you continue to walk forward, there before you is a beautiful, massive, strong tree. It has a strong root system coming out of the earth, anchoring it in place. You decide to climb into the roots, and it's as if the roots create a special natural bench for you to sit. You notice that the roots connect to a small creek of cool running water near where you're sitting. So you dangle your feet into the water below, sending a cool pleasant tingle up from your feet to your ankles, then up your legs to your tummy. Now you feel the coolness touching your fingers, and then up your arms, into your chest, neck. Then your forehead feels cool and calm. Breathe in this cool, refreshing feeling. Your entire body feels refreshed and relaxed as you dangle your feet in the river, sitting on the strong roots of the tree. Your mind begins to focus on the strength of the tree, its power and its stability. You think about how it's deeply rooted in the ground and how it's connected to the earth. Your thoughts drift to how the tree gives its shade, its oxygen to the air we breathe, how it provides a home to birds and how it gives you a sense of being strong, stable and protected.
You take one last deep breath in the forest and know it's time to leave. You begin to start walking down the forest path, feeling the sun warm your body again. You turn around to bid your tree goodbye. You know that you can return to the strong stability of the tree and its refreshing waters below whenever you need to. Now we come to my talk, my passionate journey from naivety to despair to hope. I've always been drawn to trees. Until I turned 10, I spent most of my spare time climbing trees on our farm. Back then, I divided trees into two categories, good and bad. The good ones were those great for climbing, such as Bodhikawa, some Lawson's oaks, you know, those kind of trees with wide, low branches. The bad ones, which were not good at all for climbing, were trees like Lombardy poplars, you know, the two upright and didn't have low branches. Nasty trees. Luckily, our share milkers had seven children for me to play with, and our favourite activity was to climb trees. We even used to enjoy climbing the nectarine trees in the orchard in summer, sitting up in the branches, munching nectarines on a hot day. My dad planted trees and cared for them wherever we lived, on our farm and when we moved into town. Didn't everyone? My parents retired in their 60s to a 100-acre farm, but unfortunately, soon after they moved there, my dad was diagnosed with an aggressive cancer and they had to put the farm on the market. I went to visit them for the last time on that farm and found him down a gully planting trees. When I asked him why, what are you doing? He replied, I may not be able to look up to them ever, but I'll be able to look down on them. That's from an atheist. <laughs> when I was 10, we moved to Tauranga. And luckily our house was right beside a beach lined with beautiful old Pahutakawas, which, if you're a tree climber, you'd know are perfect for climbing. I joined a little group of local children, all boys except for me, who loved to have play fights. We divided into two groups, one on the ground and the other, well, others up the Pahutakawa. The ones on the ground would show, throw handfuls of wet sand and mud up at the others. And I can't actually remember who won and why, but we'd all end up in the sea to wash up, wash up all the dirt. I've always felt the calmest and a peace in a forest, the wonderful earthy smell after rain, a sense of being enveloped by ancient trees. Trees just spoke to me. Moving to Titarangi 25 years ago to a house surrounded by trees felt like moving to my ancestral home. Most mornings, Yoss and I would walk through the local bush tracks before work, and Saturdays, we'd often go for a longer walk in the Waitakere's. On holiday, you'd find us doing another great walk in the South Island. The well-known researcher, Dr. Suzanne Suzanne Simard got her PhD in forest sciences because she wanted to understand why forests have felt so powerful to her since she was a young girl. She also wanted to help protect them. Her groundbreaking discovery, discoveries include many of the ways trees communicate with each other, 
through underground fungi networks and how they help each other by sharing resources. Hub trees, or grandmother trees, the oldest and largest in the forest, are especially important to the ecosystem because they act as central hubs for vast below-ground networks. In her popular TED talk, Dr. Simard assures us that everything in the forest is connected and communicating. She said, most of us have forgotten that we're connected to each other and to nature, that we are one. Nature is not some separate thing, but an intimate part of us. She believes that trees perceive many things in their environment, and it's very likely they're able to feel the presence of humans when we're nearby. Redwoods live 500 to 800 years on average, but many survive for 1,500 years. Giant cowries can live 2,000 years or more. That means we can touch trees today that carry the wisdom of when the Earth was a different planet. To position this closer to Maori cosmology, we might consider the narratives of Tani Mahuta, the deity of the forest, represented by the tree who creates To Ao Marama, the world of light. By separating the sky deity Ranganui and the earth mother Papatuanuku, bringing light and life to the earth. Tane, like the figures of rain, wind and the birds, is an emissary between earth and sky. Very near to our house in Titarangi was an enormous ancient cowrie, probably one or the largest in the Auckland area. It is thought that it wasn't cut down by the loggers because it's, it's a bit misshapen. Um, it's quite sort of got a trunk that's a bit weird shape. Many decades ago, busloads of tourists used to come to view it, but now the exact lo location of it is hidden and secret, as the locals want to protect it. I walked around it a few times before Cowrie Dieback arrived, and it is so large and ancient that it's hard not to get emotional when you're in its presence. Maybe it's what Dr. Simard calls a grandmother tree. Six years ago, Yoss and I decided that our large house and garden in Titarangi was taking too much time and effort, so we moved into a townhouse in the central city. Within a few days of moving, I had a reality check. I was walking down Wellington Street on my way home when I noticed that there were arborists with chainsaws roaring about to cut down a huge Norfolk pine, massive tree, beautiful, on the corner of the street on the berm. I asked them to stop while I phoned the council as it was obviously a protected tree being on the berm. I got hold of them quite quickly and the council informed me that through quirk and some planning change, this tree was on private land. And since the national government removed tree protection from private land in 2012, there was nothing that anyone could do to stop this happening. I cried all the way home while the chainsaws roared behind me. This tree was magnificent, probably the tallest, most perfect Norfolk pine in central Auckland, 
obviously more than 100 years old. It was a landmark. I cried for many days afterwards every time I passed by the empty space. I waited for the uproar amongst my neighbours, the community, the city. Shouldn't there be some sort of funeral? A mark of respect for all the good work that this tree had done. The shade it had provided the children going to and from the school next door. The landmark for finding a way around the city. All of the deadly gases that it had absorbed and its help in sucking up water in times of flooding. No, there was deadly silence. My talk is about my journey through naivety, despair, towards hope. So I hope I won't disturb you too much with just a little reality in regards to our urban trees. Moving into the city was when I lost my innocence and my naivety. I thought everyone loved trees like I did. But there have been too, too many examples to share, but I will share two. Unfortunately, this first example is from my own family. We were having a family gathering at the house of my sister, who lives with her daughter and granddaughter. They were proudly showing me their new back deck, which was going to be used for future family gatherings. But they decided that the huge oak tree shading the deck had to go, as it was dropping leaves on the deck, which they had to sweep up. I pointed out how amazing the tree was and that they could trim it, as oaks can take quite a prune. However, the next time we visited, there was the huge gap where the oak had been. My sister then said to me, oh, we're finding the decks a bit hot now. <laughs> so we're going to plant an evergreen tree for shade because it won't drop leaves. I replied, actually, evergreens do drop leaves. They just drop them all throughout the year. And it will shade your house in winter. I despair. Had we still had tree protection in Auckland, that tree would still be there. Recently, I became aware of a neighbour close to us who was petitioning the council to have a tall cottonwood cut down outside his house on the boom. These are usually protected. I can see this tree through the window in my upstairs office as it pokes up tall above all the other trees. But it's quite a, quite a thin tree, so it wouldn't, it wouldn't give a lot of shade, it wouldn't be, you know, it's not, not annoying. This neighbour, though, had just bought the house within a few weeks. And within a few weeks, he had gathered signatures from his neighbours to have this tree cut down. As the fluff that it produced every autumn annoyed him. It got on his pristine concrete. I do understand how this could be annoying, but so too are the hidden fumes from the motorway close to our house, which is way more deadly, but I don't see any petitions to close that down. I was sent a copy of his letter that he sent to the council, which made me cringe. Please realise that this man used to head up one of Auckland's largest law firms, so he probably has been in his elite bubble all his life. 
In his letter, he told the council that he would pay for the removal and the replacement of the tree with one more suitable, and that the council could then give the wood to the poor. Wow, how entitled is that? I wrote to the council in support of the tree, and luckily not because of my letter, but because, the, because it's on the berm actually, the council refused to cut it down, but they gave it a nice prune so that there were no dead branches, and, it's, and also so it won't be quite as annoying. Quite a good solution, I thought. But now I'm hoping that this neighbour doesn't resort to poisoning, because that's what people do. After many of these types of episodes in my neighbourhood, I decided to try and help and join the Tree Council, an organisation which tries to protect urban trees in Auckland and also lobbies government to have tree protection reinstated, even though they've failed at both, not for want of trying. I joined their small board of passionate tree lovers and tried to do my bit. I like the people on the board, because although they're all tree lovers, they're also pragmatists. And they realise that some trees have to be felled. If they're dangerous, they may be in the wrong place, or sometimes you do have to cut a tree down for progress. They're usually, but they're not usually the people you see with the placards. They're often behind the scenes lobbying and appearing at environment courts. After a couple of years trying to help, I realised I'm just too emotional about trees and it was taking a toll on me watching the decimation of our urban trees and nobody caring enough to stop it. What I've noticed is that people will say to me, of course I love trees, but not this one beside me. Well actually they're deluding themselves that they actually care when they really underneath don't. I changed my focus onto our close surroundings and I joined the little committee in charge of the small park that surrounds 30 houses, including ours. I've now helped to protect four old trees from being cut down, often by owners who up and leave, you know, a year or so later, meaning the tree that annoyed them that they want to cut down doesn't annoy the new owner or, or vice versa. This is what I call short-termism, in the political sense and also in the minds of we New Zealanders. We're thinking of today and what annoys us today, not of future generations who might benefit. On our berm, <coughs> on to some more positive things. On our berm, <coughs> excuse me, outside our house was a very scruffy old cherry tree. The sort of tree that it's tempting to cut down. It was choked with grass around its trunk and looked very sick. The last remaining of, our, of the original neighbours, he's 90 years old now, and he told me that he planted this cherry tree in 1975. And there's actually three or four others. He planted it after he moved into his house, and they're quite special to him. So I thought I'd try and look after it. I cleared away the grass, added some compost, compost and fertiliser and planted the berm with some flowers. Now the tree has twice the number of leaves and is thriving. 
and people walk past often comment on how they enjoy the tree and the flowers. I'm not the first in our street to plant their boom, but soon the majority of our neighbours have planted their booms and the street is looking great. Across the road from our house is a small pocket park that probably didn't get built on because it's got an enormous pine on it and quite a few major drains. Two neighbours beside the park started creating gardens in the park and asked if I'd like to join them. I don't do much except help to pay and also help to spread the yearly mulch. Another neighbour has provided a large table for the park where we now have our street parties in summer. We've got in our neighbourhood, which is Freeman's Bay, we have quite a few beautiful jacaranda trees. Um, you may recognise them by their lovely purple flowers in summer and they have dainty foliage. One day, one of my walks, I noticed that a young one was leaning over and was in danger of falling <coughs> because its ties had broken. I registered this on the council website and they fixed it within a few weeks. Maybe they wouldn't be quite so quick to respond at the moment, but their online system's very easy to navigate nowadays. Another time I was walking around Grey Lynn and I noticed a boom with three beautiful cherry trees in flower. Just stunning. But I was concerned about their trunks that someone had built up about a metre of grass clippings, which can actually kill a tree. People think they're helping, but it can kill. I left a friendly note in the letterbox suggesting that they remove the glass, grass clippings away from their lovely trees to allow them to thrive and was pleasantly surprised when I next walked past they'd done it. If you live in the city and you'd like to experience the spiritual tree experience but don't have the time or maybe the ability to go walking in the Waitakere's, well they're probably blocked at the moment, all you need to do is visit Smith's Bush which is located behind Oniwa Domain on Northcote Road. There's plenty of parking. They've got a loop track which is flat and it's, it has an elevated boardwalk for easy walking. Great for those with mobility issues or families can take push chairs. It's not too long. It has plenty of seating to rest and enjoy the birds and the forest. It's stunningly beautiful, right in our midst. Yoss and I occasionally watch a New Zealand programme about the SBCA. Do you ever see that one where the officers follow up calls from the public? The public might be concerned about an animal being mistreated. The officers go out and visit the animals to check on their welfare. And if they're sick or being abused, they can legally remove the animals or insist that the owners improve their care. The first SBCA originated in the UK in 1824, which is like 200 years, when a group of 22 people met in a coffee house to launch a society to prevent cruelty to animals. One fascinating fact about this meeting, that's why Google is wonderful, isn't it? Uh, is that it included the MP William Wilberforce, who campaigned to end slavery and after that, he turned his attention to the plight of animals. Also, William Wilberforce flirted with Unitarianism, unfortunately, before he became a complete fundamentalist. Pity. Um, 
At that time, in 1824, compassion for animals was regarded as quite strange. Most people thought that animals were commodities used to supply food, transport, or sport for people. In its early years, the society's major campaign was to win the hearts and minds of the general public and to change people's indifference to animal cruelty. I'm hoping that the recent rain and cyclone devastation will be the impetus for a culture change regarding our environment, but especially our trees. I'd like to see an SBCE, Society for the Protection and Care for the Environment, with officers that immediately go to the rescue of the environment and our trees, with legislation behind them. Imagine that. discussion starter this week is what tree is your favourite and why? The Guardian newspaper does an, um, an article often they portray a person, they interview a person and they ask them what is your favourite tree or what tree has a spiritual significance to you? Is it maybe one you climbed when you were a child? One your tree pl uh, planted maybe with significance? And that's what we're going to discuss.